Hi, my name is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before we start with the podcast, I have a few things that I'd like to mention. The first is that we've set up a special email address where listeners of our podcast can send in questions related to Agile, Agile transformation, basically anything about Agile at all. Just send your question to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it in text form, you can send a WAV file or any kind of audio recording of yourself asking the question, even video would be okay. What we're going to do is take the questions that we get, and in a future podcast, I will be joined by a few of our enterprise transformation consultants. We'll talk about your question. We'll talk about some possible solutions, some ideas, some things you might try when you get back to work, so that if you've got something that's going well, you can make it go better. And if you've got something that's not going well, we'll give you some suggestions or strategies for things you might try to change to make it go a little more smoothly. So again, any question about Agile or Agile transformation, just send it to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it as text, you can send it as an audio file, or you can send video, whatever's easier for you. We just like to get a lot of questions from our listeners so we can start to incorporate that into the podcast that we've been doing. Again, soundnotes at leadingagile.com. The second thing I want to mention is we've set up a special discount code for podcast listeners who are interested in taking one of our CSM or CSPO classes. You can find a list of all our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com training. We're currently doing classes in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and San Jose. So just go to leadingagile.com slash training, find a class you'd like to take, and enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES to receive 10% off the list price. Now, on to the podcast. Hey, this is Dave Pryor with Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is a very special podcast. We're going to focus on digital project management and Agile. And I've got two friends who are experts in the field of digital project management, and they're both working with Agile, and they've been kind enough to take some time out of their day. So I have Rachel Gertz and Brett Harned. Um, I'm going to let each of you guys introduce yourselves to folks, because you both have so many things going on that I don't even know where to start. So Rachel, do you want to go first? Yeah, sounds good. Good to see you, Dave, too. Um, so Rachel Gertz, I'm actually a process trainer, and I do a lot of PM consulting and work with agencies of small to medium size just to help them become more sustainable companies, kind of looking forward to future-proofing them for all of these technology integrations that are happening. And there's the magazine and the website. Oh, yeah, those... <laughs> Cokes Magazine and louderthan10.com, you can find us. Yeah, if you work in digital project management, or actually project management in general, the magazine's awesome, um, and you can Thanks. get it online. And Brett? Hello, good oh. to be here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> from Philadelphia, PA. Um, so my name is Brett Harned. I'm a digital project management consultant. Um, so that means that, similar to Rachel, I'm helping companies, um, typically agencies, but also product companies, nonprofits, helping them with all things surrounding project management that can be communications or process or things that are just plain challenges for them. Uh, in addition to that, I founded the first conference for digital project management. It's called the Digital PM Summit, and we're going on our fourth year this October. Um, and a lot of other things going on, but those, that's my main focus right now. And the book? Well, yes, I'm writing a book, and that will be out next year. It's going tentatively titled Project Management for Humans. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for both taking time out for the conversation. So in the classes that I teach, in the CSM and the CSPO classes, for the past... I don't know, six or seven months, the classes are about one third digital project managers. And they're all there to learn Scrum, but they all have the same question, which is, how the hell do I make this work in an agency? 
And I'm always like, well, it's very challenging. And I want to give them the it depends answer. But you guys have both used different agile practices. So I, I guess I want to start out by saying what what makes digital project management a complicated fit with agile? Clients. <laughs> Right. Working yes. with clients. So I've I've talked to Dave about this ad nauseum, it feels like even when I was back at Happy Cog, wow, like five years ago, I think I called Dave because our lead developer kept pressuring me on implementing Agile. And I, for some reason, suspected it didn't work, but I at least wanted to give the benefit of the doubt and, and talk through it. So I think that that's the the biggest thing is, you know, when, when we work on, let's say, a website redesign project that is that comes with um, new creative concepts and content and all of the decisions that surround those things, um, the process just gets a little more complicated. Um, there are dependencies when it comes to client approvals and reviews of things and changes. Um, and I think that's typically, I think, what I've had the most difficult time um, implementing in an agency setting. Okay. Yeah, I think, oh, sorry, I, I was just going to say, Brett, like you just nailed it. Because I think when you're talking about uh, dealing with stakeholders, the further removed they are from the process, they're not thinking agile. Like they're, they're involved in their day-to-day and their day-to-day probably prioritizes urgent tasks over important ones. So if you're trying to run any kind of sprint model, I mean, it's basically going to stop at whatever level of stakeholder is like, uh, no, sorry, we're not doing that. So that is definitely a challenge. Um, I f- feel like the other thing that we run into to is the idea that like you are managing multiple projects instead of saying if you're working as a product company where you're sort of dealing with you know majorly like one area of focus and maybe there are people who who are dealing with other areas of focus and what is like the master board (laughs) if you want to go that way for that type of um, workflow right like where do you find all the stuff that you need to do and how do you fit time in to do scrums and you know stand-ups and all of that Okay. And so just for, for in case there's folks who aren't familiar with the idea of a digital agency, I think if you're old like me, it's a web shop, but it's the newer version of a web shop because it's not just doing web shop or websites anymore. There's a lot more that goes into it. But how would you guys explain it and what a digital agency does? Hmm. So I think the way that I typically describe it is a digital agency is a company that is producing digital anything with a a digital interface for users so that doesn't necessarily mean just a website it could be a responsive website it could be a mobile app it could be a newfangled touchscreen on your fancy refrigerator it could be a number of things Um, but i think a lot of those agencies are um, rooted in a process that is building a product for a specific end user okay Mm -hmm. And do you guys still consider like ad banners and stuff to be part of that work or is that a separate thing? Oh, yeah, it is. I've okay. just thankfully gotten out of that world. <laughs> yeah, I was going to I was going to say to you, like I'm, I'm we're running into situations where we're dealing with more clients who say they're more on, say, social media marketing. And so technically they're not dealing with digital interfaces, but they are dealing with, you know, digital integrations and they are dealing with technological outcomes and they need to be able to track these kinds of things with regular reporting. So, yeah, there's it's it's becoming really expansive in terms of the types of outcomes that people are focusing on. And almost every company is go- is digital or is going digital. So it's getting like it's getting hairy out there. <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing because there's lots of work, right? Yep. So yeah, absolutely. 
one of the things that I, I opinion that I have that I want to check in with you guys on is one of the things that I think makes this model, you know, in using it with Agile kind of difficult is because of the evolution of how the relationship that these organizations have with the client has evolved out of advertising and, and PR and marketing and things like that. The agency is still, this is not the best way to say it, but to a certain extent is treated like the bitch of the client. <laughs> Silence. Okay, no, maybe I, I should say that differently. <laughs> I think you're right. I think, you know, I think a lot of, I mean, the agencies I've worked for, like, that was always a struggle. It's um, trying to position yourself as uh, a partner rather than a vendor, um, mm-hmm. I think, is, is the way that it goes. I think a lot of work goes into getting to know stakeholders, getting to know a business, understanding the goals, and finding the goals of a project so that you can actually help them to make some good decisions when it comes to digital and when it comes to technology, I guess, um, like, like Rachel mentioned, a lot of the, the backend systems that, that run these sites and experiences, um, they're, they take a lot of work to handle and manage, and it takes a special person or company to actually understand and build and create or maintain those things too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think no matter what, when you're in that kind of relationship where you're almost a, a hired hand, um, you're you're always fighting against being someone's bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and that like AOR models changed a lot too. And I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but it looks like it's really tough to maintain relationships with clients long-term if you're an age, digital agency, right? Like a lot of the time, if a client's not happy with you, they may do you the courtesy of letting you know that they're not going to continue working with you after the end of a, whatever launch you're, you're working on. But sometimes they just start working with another company while they're working with you. And then all of a sudden let you know by email, you know, by the way, we've started working with someone else. So it takes a lot of investment to cultivate those relationships. And so if you are dealing with processes where, again, like you're working in an agile method, but they are just not on board, like you're going to have a lot more issues getting people's buy-in uh, right from the get-go. And and a lot of the agencies tend to be, you know, fairly small in size, like 50 people or so. And, and the nature of the projects are fairly short often, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think it depends. I mean, I, I worked for a company called Razorfish that is huge they're global you know they're they're all around the world and they're doing projects that are in the millions of dollars range um and and they do all of the the stuff that you mentioned earlier too um you know like uh banner ads and seo and all of that um so i think it i think it depends i think the companies that rachel and i most recently came from were that smaller kind of boutique sized agency um, and I, th- I tend to enjoy that work a little bit better because the, um, the partnership and the, the work that you get is, um, it feels a little more personal. It feels, uh, definitely more achievable. Um, and I, I personally think like more fun because the relationships you can build with clients at any level on a team or in any role on a team, um, can be pretty lasting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you so- are investing the time to build that long-term relationship even those the nature of some of the work may be shorter or like rachel said they could just hang you out to dry with an email i think as a pm you have to build those relationships if you don't you're kind of you know it's 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 a disservice to the rest of the team and to the project if you're not focusing on the people and what the people expect out of the project and understanding them and building a relationship that gets the information that you need 
from them, but also makes them feel comfortable with the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if this is relevant, but I wanted to add to you, I think some of the trends that we're noticing is that on the dev side, like there is lots of straight up dev shops will just do, you know, um, app development. And um, I find that those, they seem to be growing in size. Like you're seeing a lot of companies and hitting over the over a hundred mark. But I think in terms of the design shop, I don't know, Brett, if, if you're finding something different, but like I'm noticing that we're getting smaller on the do- design side for UI front end. It's like there's shops that are more specialized and they'll usually go in after round one funding and they'll create like three months, they'll have a you know front end uh, UI and they'll basically go and kind of hand that off to the client who may or may not be a startup. And then that client will go ahead and run with it. So it's this sort of like hybrid model of product slash service development. And it's a strange uh, beast that I think is kind of coming out of this. And I think it's changing a lot about um, the relationships and people are trying to uh, in, you know integrate agile methods into this, but it's not very clean cut. So what yeah, I was going to say that's that's like what what the agency world is calling agile at this mm, point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so what kind of stuff do you see as evidence of agile? I mean, is it? I'm assuming that there are things that you guys are both seeing in play that that might be working, but beyond that, maybe senior level misunderstanding of what it actually means. Are there things that you've seen work? Yeah, more, more crickets. <laughs> Yeah, I'm finding um, that I think this sort of level of continuous development, I mean, again, like maybe it's not strictly agile, but it's this sort of format where, you know, you can have a long term relationship and you can sort of uh, focus on, you know, grooming your backlog, getting, you know, your priority features out. I think those things are working, especially if you do have a really tight, dedicated team and say, you you know, you're you are managing that team in a way that everyone is clear on those priorities. Um, I think it's just it's just true tricky because you need to be sure that the people who are on the team, you know, they understand not only their process, but the role of, of kind of like the, the PM, even though I know the PM role doesn't fit on the agile side, it, it needs to, right. You still need someone managing tough conversations and having, um, setting, resetting expectations if there are any other external stakeholders involved. Okay. So if we go with the product backlog, the idea of grooming that, I mean, typically the contracts that, that P- uh, my assumption is that typically the contracts agencies would see include like some definition of scope that is fixed, the timeline that is fixed, the budget that is fixed. And that's where the PM would normally plan everything out. But if we go with the idea of prioritizing and reprioritizing and grooming a backlog, that's going to throw a big monkey wrench into that. If the client now thinks I can change my mind all the time and still have everything I want for the same amount of, I mean, it's -hmm. impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. I think that is, one of the, the biggest wrenches that agencies throw into their idea of being agile or running an agile process. I think, um, you know, when you're selling a, a project to a company, you're typically forced into giving a, a fixed bid uh, quote, right? So it's, you know, this, this project is going to cost you $250,000 and we're going to have it done in six to nine months. Um, that, that's been my experience, Rachel. I'm not sure if you agree with that. I know yeah. that there are some companies out there who do, um, more kind of time and materials based work. Um, but I still think that there are constraints that make the kind of iterative process of agile a little more difficult to implement. Um, I was on a project recently, one that I again consulted with Dave on, um, where the, the agency that I was working with, um, is 
quote unquote agile. Um, they present in their sales process um, the core sort of values of agile and how they implement it. Um, which is, is interesting. Then when they get into it, they basically assign roles to people on the client team as well as people on the, the internal project team and the agency. Um, and then they run the ceremonies and it feels like it's going to work. And, and I think in some ways it does. But then again, like going back to the point I made earlier about decision making and design and content, um, that's where things get tricky. Um, and I also think like one of the things that they do is that, you know, I, we set up sprints, right? And we, we had a backlog and we had stories and we would get um, everything done in two week sprints and, and do a review with the clients. But I wouldn't say that what we delivered after two weeks was a shippable product. Um, and I think that was one of the things that I, I kind of struggled with is like, we're calling this agile, but it's not really agile. We're just making moves to, of like different ways to organize the team and different ways to um, involve the client, which I think happens to be really great. Um, I just don't like calling it agile. And I think that's just kind of like my personal thing is a lot of people mm -hmm. in our industry specifically talk about agile and act like it's, you know, end all be all, but they're not actually running agile projects. I think if someone like Dave were to get in there, he would <laughs> laugh and, and tell them in within 10 minutes what they're doing wrong and why it's not what he teaches. I'd say three minutes, right, Dave? <laughs> well, so that was what was interesting last year at the summit was the session that I ran. I was trying to gather information because I still feel like in, in, the, in the digital space, there needs to be some other agile response, like some other way of doing it because it's such an awkward fit. And so I ran that session with the intent of finding out what people were doing that was working. And what I learned was that they were all just pretty much doing it wrong, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was very disheartening. But I mean, I guess understandable. Um, so I'd like to go back and talk about contracts for a second, it, since since you brought that up, right? If Do you think it's possible to create a contract or have you seen this with a client that says, okay, we've got fixed time, we've got fixed budget. This is our understanding of what you want in terms of scope. And we're going to work as directed by you until the clock runs out. Um, that's, that's what I've done on the consulting side. But do you think that that would hold in an agency model with your clients or are they still going to be demanding, you know, I need all this stuff for this money and I'm going to keep adding things along the way. I mean, Yes, it can work. It, you just have to find the right clients. And the people with the, the right frame of mind are the people who are bought into the idea or the process. Um, I think that's the toughest part. You know, there's not one type of client. You know, um, I was talking to a, a client of mine that I'm consulting with yesterday, and they were talking to me about their clients and how their clients tend to be older and they're used to, you know, a more rigid waterfall process. And, you know, they're not sure if they can change much about the way that they operate because there's so much handholding when it comes to making decisions and um, getting things done with a client. So on the other hand, you know, you could work with a product company as an agency um, and embed a team with theirs and run a full agile product project. And I don't think that would be an issue. Um, and I think you can write a contract to either of those people. I think the, the thing that I've learned about 
working in a digital agency is that you have to be flexible um, to do what's best for the product, the project, sorry, the project and the team and the client. Um, those are like the three things that you really have to focus on and just come to a decision on what's going to work best for everyone. Okay. Rachel? Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Brett. I think um, really having an understanding of where your client's goals are and just knowing like there are so many different types of goals out there. And I think there's so much more pressure to complete, um, you know, if you want to call it MVP, uh, with less budget because of sort of the pressures of investing and all these other other areas. Even if you don't have uh, funds coming in, like we're seeing these crazy trends right now where like tech hiring in the US seems to be um, it's not going down but it's it's kind of stabilizing and then you're seeing also hiring in countries like Slovenia and we were in Poland recently and let's look at like the highest percentage of technical writers for like game development and also um, just for specs on you know any kind of documentation for sites like there's there's this thing that's happening where pricing is changing and i think that that's actually forcing um companies to try to do more with less and i don't have the answer to that i think that it's probably a natural product of just technological evolution but um i think that there are ways like you like you mentioned there dave and brett just to uh, really stay focused on what are what are we trying to do and why are we trying to do it and is this the best way to get there and and just being really really critical about um, the, the sort of feature sets that we're you know prioritizing. So does this mean that when you guys take on new clients, you have to kind of do an assessment of one what is their desire to be on the waterfall or the agile side and then what is their actual capability of of following through on that. Like if they want to be agile, but they still want to throw everything over the wall and just get it back in six months. I mean, it it sounds like you've got to assess their readiness, their willingness, teach them what it actually is and also do the work. So those first three things where a consulting company would charge for those, you're going to have to do those for free before you actually do the thing you're going to get paid for. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember working for a client that told us uh, we're agile. And I remember saying to my team, we need to understand what that means to them because I think what it means to us as an agency is different than what it could mean to them as a company. Um, and I think that's absolutely something you have to do no matter what. I mean, part of my process as a, as a digital PM is at the very beginning of the project to understand stakeholders, understand the project goals and figure out what's going to work best for everyone. Um, and as a team, create a process that, you know, illustrates how we'll get a project done. Maybe it's not done in an agile way, but maybe we're borrowing some pieces of the methodology um, mm-hmm. to build a process that's going to work for everyone. Um, I love the idea and I guess the action of coming up with a process based on the people that you're working with and the, the challenge at hand. Um, and I feel like, you know, just knowing enough about different processes and what works in different environments helps me to come up with those practices and helps me to coach a team and direct them or guide them through a process successfully. Okay. Yeah, exactly, Brett. I think you nailed it. Again, like it is important that we understand the methodologies, but I instead of putting all the weight and focus on are we this or that, it's like what works for the project or what works for your product? What are you trying to accomplish? And just being really um, holistic about the way you're wanting to approach it. So, Rachel, you posted on Slack a while back about 
using Agile in different areas of the project. Can you talk a little bit about what you found to be successful in terms of bringing some of the practices into play and seeing that actually work? Yeah, I mean, so there's every shop and every uh, team is going to handle things a little bit differently. But, you know, I think for for one thing on our side, we, we're really focused on tying content and design processes together. So, um, you know, traditionally, that would tend to be something where you might have you might start out with like a consideration of your core goals and where you want to head uh, with your content. And then basically what ends up happening is it turns into a handoff. Right. And the content person will hand things over to a designer and a developer. And um you sort of lose an area of knowledge if you if you're not able to kind of maintain that agile approach. So in in that way, I mean you're you're prioritizing features, but you're basing this prioritization on uh, content goals and and hierarchies and augmenting that message. So I think that's one area. And I think um, other areas is like you can you can run effective sprints so long as, again, everyone's clear on what are our outcomes. It may not be like, like for example, some of our clients, we're not just running two week sprints. We might just say, OK, it'll it's better to do a one week sprint or it's better to do a, a one month sprint, which seems like a long time. But um, one of the things, you know, that a lot of our clients face is they've got these execs and regulatory boards. And again, for the distance that every stakeholder has, it's going to make the process expand exponentially, right? Because they're not invested in it. So having the sensitivity to be able to adjust those processes is important. Um, I think the development process, it works very well for, so iterative development. I think that having a whole team on board to sort of prioritize those things together. I think it works quite effectively in, um, in design agencies. Cool. Um, so I have one sp- very specific question. It's sort of related to what you just mentioned that this comes up in every single class that I teach. So it, w- when I've got students who are working in digital, we, we get to the idea of the product owner has final say, they decide what's shippable. And they're like, well, that's great. I've got a product owner on the client side and they can decide it's shippable and we can have a sprint review and that's great. But then they have to go check with five other people above them to make sure it's still shippable. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have any suggestions for how to cope with that? I mean, if, if you have a product owner who's not actually empowered to make that shippable choice... Because like you just mentioned, Rachel, they've got these other layers they have to go through. How do you deal with getting to the end of a sprint and having something that is shippable or not? I mean, I think you have to plan for it. You know, going back to what I said earlier about getting to know the people in the project. And part of that is getting to know the organization and what those layers of approvals are. Um, And if you're heading toward a point where you've got something that should be shippable, knowing, you know, what that means. I think, you know, Dave, we've talked about the definition of done. And I think that's a part of it, you know, is um, the definition of done needs to part of that needs to be, you know, that it's approved, and that the the right people have seen it and that it's been QA'd and all of that stuff that goes into it. So I think it's just, you know, taking some extra time to make sure that the product owner actually has the final say on the project because there's a chance that they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think uh, with those sort of like outside stakeholders, we have the right to limit those, right? If, if it if it um, does not suit the project or the goals of whatever we're trying to create, then we have a right to say, okay, so maybe you need to sign off on, you know, maybe it, it's regulatory for like 
legal and they need to have certain um, uh, statements and disclaimers and maybe you can't do certain things. So get that group to sort of like a racy matrix. Like you want to make sure you, you have the right parties responsible and for signing off on the right parts. And then maybe that will speed up the process where you're not just saying everybody has to sign off on this criteria. It's like you sign off on this and you sign off on that. That's one way you can address it, I think. Do you guys think there should, I mean, in thinking about this now and hearing you talk about it, I'm wondering if we should start to classify things like instead of technical debt, if there's like approval debt, maybe, or some something like that where we can say, I mean, the PO may be empowered, or we can say we have to have the PO empowered and the client could agree to that. But I can think of lots of examples in my past where, yeah, I've got the person who signs off, but then when that person's boss doesn't like it, we still have to change it. We're still on the hook for that. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you guys cope with those kinds of things when they come back and it's like, yeah, we're agile, but we got to do this anyway. Well, well, I mean, kind of have to do it. Right? Okay. <laughs> but that's, but that's always the part where the agency takes it on the chin. You end up doing the work for free or do you guys put things in place in the contract that says, no, you're going to have to pay for this. Yeah. I wouldn't I'm, do it for free. Okay. Yeah. We, like, again, I think we, we write a clause into our contracts from the beginning. That's like anyone who ha- wants to have a decision-making a role needs to be there from, I guess, what we'd say it was was the kickoff or from the outset, right? So if new voices or, uh, you know, opinions show up halfway through, then you're going to have to rescope or relook at future sets and reprioritize. So there shouldn't be any surprises. And if there are, you build it into the contract that you can re, you can stop and start over. Okay. Yeah, I think a, a lot of it a lot of it depends on what you've got written into your contracts um, and the conversations you have up front. Um, I will say, you know, I said I wouldn't do it for free. My first, that's always my, my first answer is like, we need to figure out why you want to do this or why this happened. You know, like, why didn't we get an approval? What didn't we account for early on in the project? And then mm-hmm. assess, you know, what does that really impact? Is it a simple thing that the agency can do quickly? And for the sake of keeping the relationship positive, we just do it? Or is it a bigger thing that impacts, you know, uh, the budget and resourcing and the timeline that's really just going to throw everything off and we do have to write a change request for it? I think it's there's always this balance uh when you're working with clients and i think it's fair you know it's especially if you're working in a capacity that um you know you're you're building relationships for the sake of building better products and potentially getting more work with the client long term so this is kind of interesting and maybe the idea is more that the, the agility comes into play in the relationship with the customer as opposed to the actual execution of the work because you're inspecting and adapting. Like, why, do, why isn't this working? Why do we have this guy show up halfway through the project who suddenly demands that he have sign-off? Um, and how can we accommodate that? Um, mm-hmm. You've got more fluidity in how you're interacting, which I guess you're supposed to have anyway. But, um, I mean, we've probably all been on the work for the clients where you use the contract as a thing to beat somebody with because they're trying to order you around. <laughs> or maybe you haven't. I have. I'm just going to admit that I've been on those projects. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We like we tend to say, you know, use your contract as almost like a like a support net. So you you reference it regularly, but not in a threatening way. And then that way, it's not like a surprise or shock. Or <laughs> Absolutely. you're trying to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, are there things that you guys have found on the on the agile spectrum, whether it's Scrum or Kanban or any other variation of 
any agile practice, things that just flat out don't work? So I think the the thing that I struggle with the most is the client being the product owner. And that's essentially because that person in that role, typically on the client side, doesn't have the power to make decisions. They're still wrangling several other people on their team to help them make decisions. Um, So they're not agile in that way, right? Like they're not there to have one role and make one decision. I think at the same time, they're typically working on more than one or possibly more than five projects at a time. So you can't always get that person's attention. And they're not always in the loop and all knowing about what's happening in the projects. Um, so that, that's been a struggle for me is like finding the right balance on how to involve a client um, and determining who is the true owner. Um, I've had instances where I've worked with clients who are basically like a one or two man team and obviously it works a little bit better there, but you still have the availability issue um, and you still end up doing this thing where you're, you're trying to chase someone down and, and find time on their calendar, and that ends up slowing you down no matter what. Okay. Rachel, you got anything that doesn't work? I mean, I can't. I was just trying to rack my brain. I can't think of anything that's like definitively, no, this will not work. I mean, there are lots of things where you have to adjust them so that they fit. Um, but I think, again, it's more just about the flexibility to be able to do that and having the teammates and you know stakeholders that are open to it. Um, I mean, Dave, have you have you found anything from the, well, your conversations? It with- is sort of a leading question. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't I, say. <laughs> I have something I want to throw out and see how you guys respond to it. So if I say that, like, let's say it's Scrum. If I want Scrum to work, I've got to have stable teams of people who are just only working with each other and dedicated to one thing at a time, one project mm-hmm. at a time. Is that even possible in an agency? Can you get past... 13 projects at once or switching people around, you know, week to week or project to project? Oh, that is a tough one. Um, I think you could, but I think part of what an agency owner really worries about is the pipeline. And so if you're, if you're not able to make sure that you've got this sort of guaranteed slot and if you'd have any project drag whatsoever, like that will seriously affect your revenue for the month. So uh, I could see that actually being pretty, not, not impossible, but difficult. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the, we're talking about an issue that can work in some places and not in others. Um, I think it tends to not work within our world as well. And there are a lot of like little things that stop us from from being fully agile. Um, and that that's kind of like I'm sitting here thinking like, what are the other things mm-hmm. that don't work? Um, and I think it's a lot of just like little things, but I think it's always on a case by case basis. Um, and I, I hate being like that, but I feel like there are so many edge cases that we deal with where like you might work with a team on a product and, you know, agile, the agile methodology works really well. And I work on one and it's like that the people don't have the time to to work on one project or the company is so small that, you know, they take on too many projects and they have five people working on eight projects. Um, and I think it's tough. It's just, it, it's really all about timing. And I think like the perfect situation coming at the perfect time. I know that's not really a fair answer, but no, it is. I, I think that the, the kind of 
next part of that question for me would be, have you guys seen agencies where they might say, well, you know, internally we're going to have a scrum team and there's these people and they're going to stay together and they might have to work on 10 different projects at once, but this core of people, we're going to keep them intact so that they can at least get to a performing state. And if they're having to cope with all these different things at once, then so be it. But we're going to let that part of this succeed. Have you, mm-hmm. have, have either of you seen that? So having like an internal, running something like a agile internally and then yes. on, on the external. Yeah, totally. Like I think even when we're doing um, our own UI work with clients on occasion, like that's what we'll do uh, because it, it often works where as long as the the client is aware, like you can get, give them weekly updates and be like, this is the, this is what we're working on internally. You can run it however you want, but you can protect and insulate the client from having those decisions. As long as you realize that sometimes clients will delay and sometimes those that feedback will come a little bit later. I don't know. What do you think, well, Brett? Uh, before you answer, Brett, so that might be one way of coping with, um, you know, if the team is working on a number of projects, when you've got that delay from the client on feedback, if the team has multiple things, but they're intact, that would allow them to switch to something else while they're waiting, right? Yeah, I think it's can be very unpredictable like as much as you try you know it'll be so so again like right into your contract and sort of any delays in deliverables assets turnarounds feedback those things you you would put your project on pause i think that's like a almost hopefully getting standard in our in our industry but maybe not but you know so setting the expectation of what will happen when there when there will be a pause but um it's just i know even from a contract perspective when um those clients come in slower, you know, more slowly, or there's delays in negotiating or whatever, those things can be unexpected. So you can try. And I think if you do maintain that sort of small, a agile, you you can, you can maybe, okay, I'll tackle this, this, and this while we're waiting. But again, it still leads to resourcing issues, I think. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I've uh, worked with a company that um, is, trying to be agile and they have dedicated themselves to staffing projects with a team. So if I'm a front end developer, I am staffed to one project. I'm not working on anything else. Um, And I think they still have edge cases where it doesn't work. Like they have a client that is late or a client that comes back and needs something and that person gets pulled away from the project Mm -hmm. that they're on. Um, So I think it's a matter of really having the discipline to commit to it. Um, and financially as a company saying, okay, this, this might mean that we are going to take a dip in revenue month over month until we get this thing straightened out. And we actually have committed ourselves to agile projects and we've got clients signed on and we've got a pipeline that's stable enough to say, we won't start your project until, you know, X date, because that's when our other one is ending. Um, it's like this big web of decisions that um, leads from one to the other. And again, it, it all comes back to predictability when it comes to working with clients. Okay. Do, do you, this is sort of a, a, maybe a bigger question, but for both of you. Um, and Brett, you and, I, you and I have talked about this previously. I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the idea that maybe the current um, available versions of Agile or responses to Agile, maybe they are too cumbersome to be worth bringing into play in an agency model. I mean, given given that there's some dysfunction with how the client, you know, agency interaction goes and how they're used to responding and what they've learned they can do over the past 50, 100 years, is putting Agile into play something that just is 
so overbearing and so heavy to wield that it's just maybe not always worth it? I think clients don't care. That's the thing. You know, okay. like a, a lot of clients, you know, depending, again, depending on the person you're working with, they don't necessarily care as much about the process you take to get there as long as you're keeping them updated you're providing deliverables you're showing them along the way how things are coming along um you can call your process whatever you want um no matter what they want to be involved and i think you have to educate them on that process regardless whether or not agile is too heavy i'm not sure um i think Potentially the idea of roles um, and involving clients in, in that way, like I was talking about earlier, I think does make it a little heavy and, and make it feel a little burdensome to a client. Um, like if I try to put myself in the client's shoes, um, sure, I don't care if you're you're running two Yeah, just sprint. give me my stuff. Exactly. That's all they care at the end of the day. Like you're actually going to deliver something and you're not going to go over budget and it's going to be on time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rachel? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd have to agree there. It's uh, It seems like at the end of the day, that's what we're here to do, right? We, we want to focus on people and getting things done together. Um, I think... I think there's always more to learn. And I think that these um, methodologies will evolve. How long has Agile been around now? I'm not going to grill you, Dave. On well, that. no, no. <laughs> Officially, I mean, the manifesto was February 2001. So okay, the practices so- have been around a long time before that. I'm wow. Sorry about, sorry about that. That was not <laughs> Travis me. riding his motorcycle up and down the hall. <laughs> Good um, grief. No, I mean, the manifesto was 2001, but it, the practices have been around a lot longer than that. So it's been around yeah, a while. So- I'm curious, like, you know, we used to believe that we had sort of evolved the, um, I guess the out, the expanses or reaches of physics. Right. And now because of quantum computing, they're actually figuring that we're going to blow the lid off of a whole new realm of, of physics. And that will change how we, how we function and how we get work done in like, you know, biological technologies and all these other things. So maybe, I don't know, this could be really loose, but maybe there's a way that things will evolve in our field so that it won't be so much about, you know, agile versus waterfall versus something in the middle, but just, you know, maybe, maybe we'll just be quantum computers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe there will be some new thing that emerges that'll actually fit a little better because right now it's almost like you've got one pair of pants that's too big in one part and another pair of pants that's too small in the other part and you can't figure out Mm -hmm. which pants to wear. They're probably comfortable though. You know those ones, the balloony ones. They Not kind the of have a lot of room. Ones. Well, <laughs> no, those ones. Pantsless. pantsless <laughs> yes, is that's better. that's what we need is no pants at all. Um, pantsless methodology. <laughs> I like it, Brett. So start writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> is there advice that either one of you um, could offer for the folks, like the students that I get who come in and they really want to figure out how to make this stuff work, or at least how to try to make it work because they feel like they need to know how to do it to be competitive. Do you have advice for those people? Is there anything that you can say, you know, this might help you or, or stay clear of this? Hmm. Well, I really have to crank up the cricket noise. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I'm trying to let you Rachel guys... go first. Oh, okay. yes. So I'm much. polite. I'm Canadian. I don't know if you guys know this, but I always <laughs> wait. So, um, no, I, w- I was just thinking that it would be it would be phenomenal to just sort of let them know that no matter what they're trying to do, like, remember that change is hard. And um, when you are trying to, you know, impose change on any organization, there's going to be this sort of Kubler-Ross effect, which is the same as what we would, what we currently call the grief scale, right? So you're, you're going to have resistance, you're going to have people 
people who are fighting you and feeling really badly about it because things are upset and it's just, it's not working out. But to have empathy, right? I mean, really like, I find it so hilarious because in all of these conversations about work getting done and methodologies and all that, where's the, where's the people, where's the, where's the human side of that. Right. And we're trying to automate things so that we can, you know, be more efficient, but really like we have to remember we're making things for people right now. And until we are actually robots, like that's going to continue. So be gentle with your, with your people and don't try to force them into something. If, if it doesn't fit, if it's not working at the end of the day, that's the, that's the one thing you get to keep is your humanity. Wow. Okay. Top that yeah. Brett. Yeah, do it. Impossible. <laughs> um, so I would say to, to any VPM who's attending an agile training, um, first I would commend them. I think it's great to constantly be learning and understanding different processes because that informs better ways of working with your team, better ways of getting projects done. I would also say prepare yourself for not always adopting the methodology broad cloth when you leave that that um, training because you're going to get back to the office and find a hundred little things that seem like big hurdles in, in implementing something and that kind of touches a little bit on what Rachel said you know like doing what's right for the people yeah. um, but having a really good solid foundation and understanding of processes and how things could work and different tools that you can implement and use on a project will help you to come up with a process that's going to work for you. So I always tell people like, stop looking for the book, like stop looking mm -hmm. for the golden ticket because there isn't one, right? Like use your brain because you're a smart person, work with your team because they're the people who are doing the work and figure out what's gonna work best for you. In the end, you're gonna be happier and your clients are gonna be happier and the product is probably gonna be better. Cool. I, I would like to offer some encouragement too. I think it's um, the DPM space to me seems very challenging because you've got these folks who are coming up and they've got to learn to work multiple different ways. And, and like you said, Brett, constantly figure out different ways to mix and match things to fit a different client. And hopefully they are learning to be empathetic along the way. But it's sort of like this proving ground. I mean, they're not locked into one way or another. And I think that in the long run, that's going to kind of create an entire generation of project managers that will hopefully be a lot more versatile and adaptable than the ones that, you know, like when I came up where it was like, there's just this one way. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I think if for people that are in that space, if it seems confusing and frustrating, good, because that will help you be better at your job. Yeah. Totally uh, agree. Cool. Yes. And, All right. And I think, oh, go ahead. oh sorry. I was going to say, Dave, <laughs> like one thing that when you, when you and Brett were just talking, I was like the fact that we are having this conversation right now and the fact that we're going to be going to like the digital PM summit, there's a community of people yeah. that exist right now. And, and you don't have to have this all figured out on your own. And we're all here to support you. Like, I think that's huge. So not to take your thunder, but like, no, it's, it's, and it's a unique <laughs> thing in project management too, because the traditional community is not that open and not that supportive in the way that the DPM space is. Um, mm. And I feel like from getting to know you guys and the other folks from the conference, I've made relationships that are much richer than the ones that I've had with most of the traditional PM, you know, friends that I've had. So they're not going to call you now. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. They don't have to. <laughs> but thank you guys both, both for doing this. So before, before we go, I want to, um, 
to give you each a chance, like I, I know Rachel, you've got stuff coming up. This this is going to come out on Thursday. You've got something going on on Friday, but you also have other stuff in the future. And Brett, if you want to say a few words about the conference, um, and then also how people can get in touch with you. So Rachel, do you want to go first? For sure. Yeah. So we're really excited to be presenting on a total, it's actually an agile design and content process um, at the design and content uh, conference coming up. And it's on Friday. Uh, We'll be speaking in the afternoon and you can kind of check out, we'll be posting a workshop out of that very soon where you can kind of come to Vancouver and learn um, an agile content design process and some new prototyping. And um, we're also going to be launching a team collaboration workshop. So we're going to hash through and redefine our workflows as a team and make sure that we understand like what project health really looks like and how to have those tough conversations around it. Um, so you can uh, check us out and on at Louder Than 10 on Twitter or Facebook and uh, just come and check our site out and say hi to us. You know, we're, we're really, I think we're pretty friendly people and we like, we like meeting other one, people too. So come and say hi. And check out the magazine. The <laughs> and check out the magazine. Awesome. Cool. Dave's got an article in there. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Brett? Sure. So first, the Digital PM Summit, it uh, will take place in San Antonio, Texas from uh, October 13th through the 15th. It's a two-day conference. We have keynote presentations as well as breakout sessions. Um, I think it's a great experience. Um I wish I could be an attendee most years, but I'm not. I'm, I'm organizing and running the thing. Um, this year, I am speaking. I'm excited about the topic that I'm presenting on. It's called Principles Over Process. Um, so it's this idea, kind of what we talked about today. You know, like there are all of these rigid processes out there that, as digital PMs, we should know about them and, and we should apply pieces of them to to our own processes where it makes sense. Um, but what I'm focusing on mostly are the principles that we as a community of digital project managers can embrace um, that will kind of inform those processes. So I'm excited to give that talk. Um, There are a lot of other speakers there that are going to be really great. I'm I'm really excited about the speaker lineup this year. Um, It's great every year. Um, This year, I think it's a little bit different because we're switching it up a bit. Um, you can check out the speaker lineup and the agenda is forthcoming. Um, but any of the details about the conference are, um, on the site at, uh, digitalpmsummit.com or at digital PM summit on Twitter. Um, I also have a couple of workshops coming up. I'm running a workshop in Portland on September 25th, and then I'm planning one for Montreal in November. So I will be in Canada, Rachel, just on the East Coast. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention um, is that uh, I've been working probably for the past nine months to a year with my good friend and now business partner, Sam Barnes, on a training company called Pathfinder DPM. And um, we're still working through some of the preliminary details there. We're going to be offering in-person trainings in the U.S. and the U.K. um, And details are at pathfinderdpm.com. And you can find me at brettharned.com or at brettharned on Twitter. Cool. All right. Thank you guys both for doing this. I really appreciate it. And hopefully a lot of folks will find it valuable and check out your stuff. Um, It was fun. Thanks. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Thanks. 